Hello friends, welcome back to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I talk about food. We did our first episode on the topic of nutrition a while back, and now that TFC is embarking on food education as part of our shift uh, beyond feet and hips into the realm of health as a whole, our perspective on food is changing, uh, and in a big way. And as we learn, we want to have these conversations on the podcast to fill everyone in on the new stuff that we're reading about. We talk about food as a whole, we review what the food problem is, we talk about food-like products, we break down the ideology of nutritionism, and we finish with tips on how to identify real food, which might come might sound weird, you know, what else could you eat? But there really is uh, a lot of non-food-like substances available today, um, and we want to clear the air on how to identify real food versus food-like products. Uh, somewhere along the line, humans went from eating food to eating nutrients, and it's left a lot of people confused, so today is really about simplifying things. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation with Mike and hope that you find the information um, beneficial in your own life. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the TFC Footner program, which is our effort to solve the health crisis at the root cause, which we feel is how health professionals are trained. As a newly formed global tribe of health advocates, uh, we're leveraging a collective knowledge database that the whole community contributes to and which helps us constantly evolve our thinking and keep everyone informed as we continue learning. People who've completed the program are then given the opportunity to make income by teaching seminars and workshops. And for more information on the program, you can visit thefootcollective.com and click on the Foot Nerd Program tab. This episode of the Audio Project is also sponsor, uh, sponsored by the Roasters Pack. Our team at TFC head office are big fans of coffee uh, before 11 a.m. And this Canadian company provides a unique subscription service that delivers you three great coffees to your door each month and gives you the story behind each of the craft roasters that they come from. Uh, if you check out the roasterspack.com and use the code FOOT at checkout, you'll get seven bucks off your first month of any subscription, which starts at 27 a month, all in, including shipping and taxes, which is less than a buck a cup. And with the seven bucks off for 20 bucks, um, you got nothing to lose by trying it. So this episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to and from our seminars and workshops. They make super high quality cases in Canada that keep your electronics safe during travel. And you can check out their cases at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors. Let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet or the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey folks, Nick and Mike here, back for another episode of Shop Talk. And today we're going to do our second episode on food. Uh, we did our first intro podcast on food on episode 15, and it was titled Nutrition. And this one's going to be titled Food, and all the ones moving forward will be food. And that kind of reflects a change in our thinking. Um, you know, since our team has really started to look deeper into the world of food. We've evolved our thinking um, a lot in identifying the problems and, and trying to think of solutions for people to better understand how to make healthy food choices. And uh, as our thinking changes, we wanna keep everyone in the loop with these episodes. So um, just before we start, Michael Pollan gives a great talk that's available on YouTube called Food Rules for Healthy People and Planet. And a lot about a lot of what we talk about today was kind of based on what he talked about there. So check it out. It's a 40 minute video. It's really good. And um, and he delivers material really powerfully about food. So today we're going to cover a couple different topics. We're going to cover some powerful words that Paulin said, seven words that really have a lot of deep meaning. We'll cover uh, the ideology of nutritionism, um, the, the concept of life eats life, which I think uh, is really powerful. And we'll get into, we got a list of topics like the burden of digestion and the value of fasting, um, separating food and food-like products, but we'll see what we uh, end up covering based on time. Um, you know, the big impetus for this is that there's a problem with food today. And I think the root cause of the problem is confusion. People don't know what they should be eating. And there's a lot of trickery coming from food manufacturers, um, which are not to be confused with food growers that's feeding into the system of confusion. So uh, why don't we start with the point that you made is life eats life. Yes. That's very powerful. I was thinking about the confusion and I think to clear everything up, you hear all these these new rules that people are coming out with like eat, um, you know, eat in the fresh produce part of the supermarket and all of that. But if you go down and define what is, what is food, what has food been? Um, and a lot of people don't really know or have a good idea of what food actually is. Food is is essentially for all of evolutionary history has just been 
life. So, so basically it's like biology is always consuming other forms of biology to sustain biology and it always has. And then, so I think for, it just makes sense for every other species because whatever environment they're in, they're consuming all of the life around them that can sustain them. And the life that they're consuming is also consuming other forms of life to sustain them. So I think we got to wrap our heads around that and say, we're just a part of the whole cycle and we, we should be consuming life and life is food. And I think the, the closer we can get to, if we look at something visually and we can tell that it's life, that's, that's a good start. So if we look at a a leaf, like a a lettuce leaf, or we look at an apple and we're like, okay, that's, that's life. It came off a tree. Uh, If you look at meat, even, even though, again, we'll get into the nuances of that after, but we can tell, okay, that's, that's muscle tissue from something, something that was living biology. So we can see this nuts. Okay, cool. They grow in a tree. So because vegans, you still eat life. Okay. You eat a different form of life. Um, which is fine. And, and I understand a lot of the tenets of veganism and what they stand for. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between saying vegan, being vegan is bad versus trying to, you know, bad or good. It's, it's neither. It's just a way of eating and it's everyone's personal choice to decide how they want to eat. And obviously the way that we raise meat right now is really bad from an ethical point of view and for the planet. But it's also like, if you eat a certain way, you can inform people of why you eat that way, but don't get mad at people that don't eat your way because that's not yeah. fair. And I was thinking about that, that happens a lot. too in that in terms of like it's gotten so far the actual food has gotten so far away from our control that it's created movements like this that are like, okay, we're doing this all wrong. Like I'm not gonna eat meat because of the way it's raised and all of that. Yeah. I was thinking back and it's like, okay, well, at one point, humans are just really good at cooperating together. So at one point I think humans realize that, okay, some people are better hunters. They're going to go do the hunting and then they're going to share meat with other people. Yeah. So we kind of tribe works. Yeah. So it's not that everybody has to uh, get their own meat and obtain their own meat and eat their own meat. It's like, okay, there's certain people, but then I think it just got out of control along the way. So certain people do the hunting, certain people do the gathering, the gatherers consume the hunting stuff. The hunters consume the gathering stuff. That makes sense. Everyone shares. Um, But then it got into like farming and it's like, okay, now there's like one person doing more of the the meat raising and all of that. And they're feeding way more people. Well, we just got way too good at it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, where is that line drawn where it's like, okay, like we, we accepted like the hunter gatherers, they're sharing with their tribe of many people who didn't actually do the hunting. But then, you know, a farmer's sharing with thousands of people, but then, okay, now like a factory farm is sharing with millions of people. Yeah. And, and then they're doing it in this way. So it's gotten so far out of control that we no longer know where it's, who's doing the actual raising or the, the hunting or the, uh, the obtaining of the meat. And we don't even know where it's coming from or what it looks like and all of that. And then, so like, it's just when like efficiency and profit motives over overarch, like things like ethics or things like mm. how you treat animals. And it's like anything, the pendulum swings way too far. We've gone clearly way too far in how we raise animals. And you're, you're seeing a renaissance now of people are more aware, right? Whether it's videos or YouTube, uh, you know, people that are putting out videos on the cruelty that's going on. And it's swinging to the point where now people are looking into obtaining their own meat, right? My yeah. brother bought a quarter of a cow. That cow was raised ethically in a pasture. He knew, he literally talked to the farmer, I believe, and purchased a portion of that animal um, because he knew where it came from mm-hmm. and he knew how it was raised. And you're so seeing that people person going that route. Raised his meat for him, which is fine. Yeah. Right. Because he's not going to raise his own cow. He has a job. Exactly. And we live in a he weird society. He doesn't have society. a feedlot. He doesn't have yeah. a, a grass patch that he can, you're not allowed to have cows in your backyard. Exactly. But, but he's given his, yeah, exactly. He's put the onus on somebody who he knows or yes. he's in the community and he's able to raise that. And he's, he's, he's paying more for the fact that he knows more about where it came from. Mm-hmm. And it probably also tastes better in it and he knows it's better for you and all of these other things too. We talked about that, like eat less, like in, ter- in terms of meat. And we kind of went off on a tangent here at the start, but that's okay. In terms of eating meat. In general, people should probably eat less meat and spend more on the meat that they do eat. Yeah. Right. If you spent the same amount on meat, but you ate half as much of it and spent twice as much to know where it came from and that it was quality meat. Because guess what? If you eat a steak and it's really cheap and that animal its whole life was fed shit, 
was fed food that's not natural for it to eat just for the sake of fattening it up, was under stress the entire time, you're consuming all of those negatives, whether you call it energy or whatever, but all of the stress, all the hormones that had to be given to that animal to reduce their stress or stop them from getting diseased, all the crap food that went into their tissues, you're consuming that. So yeah, you can get a steak for really cheap or a piece of meat for really cheap, but there is a cost to the cheapness of that meat. And it is that that's not healthy meat. You cannot disconnect the health of the food from the health of the food chain that produced that food. Exactly. This is what people need to realize. On that note, another thing I've been doing recently, like there's a company, there's an egg company or egg farmer uh, that that sells eggs in the grocery store. And they have like, this same company has like four or five different levels of eggs that it goes (laughs) from like, it goes from like cheap and then they don't say anything on it. It's just like eggs, extra large eggs. And then yeah. it then it goes into like nest, nest laid eggs. And then it goes into like uh, free range. Like there's different categories. And then there's it, some they, weirdness going on there too. It's interesting. But I actually, I was like, why? Okay, why is it like a dollar more as we go up in level? Like what do they do? And then I looked into it and underneath the cover, they explain, okay, here's what they mean by that. And it's like, okay, these chickens are raised in an environment where they can roam free in, in like so-and-so square footage yards and they can like graze on this but it just it just kind of gave me a weird image it's like oh they have like different <laughs> levels of chickens and they like the they will like abuse of <laughs> some of them and sell them for cheaper but then they're, they'll so sell crazy. the ones that they actually give more of a better life to for more expensive so it's like okay well i'm gonna you know you're thinking in money too it's like i'm gonna go for the medium ones because i yeah. think they had a, <laughs> they had a decent life <laughs> you know and it's yeah. but it, it it's weird. weird it's and then you see like the really cheap ones like the kind of no-name brand ones and it's like okay well where did like what's going on there they're not saying anything about where they came from are they just crammed into yeah but it's bringing up a good point and that point is you vote with your dollars so if you yeah. only buy the most expensive eggs one, you hope that the most expensive is actually the ones that reflect the best treatment of the animals, which yeah, maybe part of that is like, I don't know. I hope exactly, um, but it's also that's how you vote on on what you stand for, right? You vote with your dollars based on what you agree with in terms of the treatment of animals, and I think that's a powerful thing. If we all paid more for the food that we, eat, especially the life that comes directly from other living sentient life forms like chicken, like animals, if we paid more for our meat, we would probably essentially create a change to basically we're voting that meat should be made meat should be harvested in a more ethical way yeah um so anyway the next thing i want to get into is the seven words that michael pollan puts at the start of his book in defense of food which is an amazing book and i recommend it to anyone that wants more clarity on food he's a journalist he's not a scientist so he comes at it from the standpoint of i'm going to ask really hard questions and i'm going to try and figure out what the truth is and the truth is that we've just all really been confused by this ideology around food and we'll talk about that in a sec but his seven words are eat food not too much mostly plants and if you want the simple if you want to distill away the most simple advice when it comes to food and eating that's it right Mm -hmm. eat food meaning eat real food and we'll talk about what that actually means because that's a big source of confusion well essentially what we just talked about too is just like food is is the life if you can identify it as life that's there's a good chance it's well it is potentially food yeah right because because like look at a breakfast cereal bar and tell me tell me what life that came from it's really hard to go through all the stages that created that thing meaning that the further it is from the life it came from... Like it didn't grow on a tree, that bar didn't exactly. grow on a tree. The more processed it is, the less likely it is food, and the more likely it is a food, edible food-like product, which are very different things. Not too much, meaning that, yeah, you can eat too much. And then mostly plants, meaning that meat's not bad, but we probably shouldn't be eating as much of it, For the probably for the foremost reason that the more eat meat we eat, the less vegetables we consume. So meat in and of itself is not unhealthy, although we talked about before how it's currently harvested is probably not the best um is definitely not the best for the planet or us um but the more meat you're eating the less vegetables you're eating and so the harm with meat is actually the fact that it's crowding out the vegetables probably more so than the fact that meat is bad for you so eat food not too much mostly plants the not too much part too can be broken down and i heard him saying that different cultures have different ways of looking at this and different sayings that go back to ancient tradition but a lot of it is like we just and i'm guilty of this too and i will still feast a lot <laughs> but i think during the week I, i've just identified like okay on the weekend i'll just kind of go off the rails a little bit and i'll have a feast or two and uh but but I, i'm happy just again if you eat and it just takes away the feeling of hunger that's yeah. good as opposed to 
to producing the feeling of being stuffed. Yes. There's a difference between taking away hunger and producing stuff. And that's a cultural thing. And the feeling of being stuffed is actually not pleasant. It's actually no. not pleasant at all. It's like you, you very, you're very sluggish. You can't move very well. You feel like shit. It, it's not actually a good feeling. So that, yeah. I think that produces a lot of the guilt, that weird guilty feeling too. If you just ate a little bit less, you'd be like, oh, cool. Like I still satisfied that, but I don't also, feel like crap. Here's another thing. Put potatoes and, and spinach leaves on your plate. Good luck eating until you're stuffed. You're probably not going to because it's not satisfying. Yeah. Right? It's not addictive. It's not basically the term is really addictive, right? If you put fake foods that are engineered to cater to your taste buds for sweetness, fat, and salt, well, guess what? You can eat until you can hardly move anymore because yeah. it tastes so good. It tricks your little lizard brain into thinking that you should be eating this stuff, right? It. So it's like part of not too much revolves around making sure you're eating real food because real food is not as physically addictive Um it doesn't make you want to consume it to the point of feeling like crap as natural, real, whole food. And uh, that's that's a good point. And I and I think you need to be creative with what foods you're you're eating. And uh, I was telling you before I discovered I've always liked beets when I get them in like restaurants, like a beet salad. So I'm like, why don't I just start making like better beet salads? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so just again, I went. I was surprised at how cheap beets are. It's crazy, and mm. and you can get. I get a, a massive, like three different bags of two, three different beets, cook them up, boil them up, um, chop them up. And and I can eat like uh, four like huge bowls of it. And that costs me like seven bucks total. So probably like a dollar fifty each. And I'll just put some, some cheese in there, like goat cheese and some arugula. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can, I put some jalapenos on it the other day. So, but nice. again, it, it just tastes amazing. And it, and I'm actually full from that and i'll eat that with a little bit of meat too for dinner and stuff like that but gee like a dollar fifty i'm stuffed from it it tasted amazing and yeah yeah so things that taste good and are good for you don't have to don't have to be super expensive no it's and not expensive it's not that hard to make real food taste good you just have to know how to do it and yeah. we have this disconnect with like home ec teaching people how to cook is like this lost art that i think we stopped teaching in high school. I didn't learn in high school. We cooked like a carrot cake one time. That's all I learned in high school about food. Why don't they just teach us how to identify certain vegetables? What are the beneficial true. elements? What? How do I look for food instead of food-like products? Like a basic amount of education in high school would go a long way to making sure everyone eats better. It's funny how we think of the courses that are to be jokes that are the ones that are the most... It's like gym class, home ec shop class like these are like real skills but we yeah. think oh the most that's just a joke ones. class right like <laughs> yeah. it's not gonna but there no no those are like the actual only classes that might uh be directly beneficial to your life yeah. depending on what you do yeah and then long and then like math and long division are the really important ones oh yeah. p.s you have a supercomputer in your pocket long division is a relic yeah um, let's reevaluate what's important all that math people. work is probably only relevant to one percent or less of the less. people yeah like we know one of our friends but uh yeah it's like it's not relevant at all but but even his level the level <laughs> that he's on is like quantum mathematics i don't know if high school calculus is really that maybe it is i don't know it, it i'm misinformed paved the path for him but it's like it was only meant for him yeah and nobody else exactly so anyways. and then the important stuff like learning about movement that's going to affect you for the rest of your life learning about food learning about sleep oh yeah we don't have to talk about that stuff like let's do real Those education let's talk classes, about yeah. let's make people do religion let's make people do math let's make people do civics and careers and like are these courses really relevant for later life like what is the purpose of high school it's probably to prepare people for life like olivia said this the other be. day school should be she's got problems with the brakes on her car and she's like, why do I know nothing about cars? Like, I don't know what's happening right now. And she's trying to um, budget for when she's starting to work. She's like, I don't know anything about money. Like, mm -hmm. why don't we learn money and cars? Everyone's going to have a car. <laughs> everyone's going to have money. No one knows about this stuff. And she was just like bringing a very, in, in a comical way, bringing a very valid point. It's like, yeah, why don't we teach basic, the basics of credit cards, the basics of mortgages, car, car payments. Like, hmm. those are real things that affect everyone almost. And that we learn nothing about. You have to, it's like you get a crash course by doing it and messing up. Yeah. So anyway, um, well, food, this, this ties into the next kind of good point is food. And I heard Gabby Reese say this on a, on a Joe Rogan podcast. And she basically broke down food or things that you eat into food and fun, right? Like food is a piece of broccoli. That's food. It's life. You know where it comes from. It's a plant that grows. Um, and then fun would be something like a bagel right? And, and a bagel is a whole lot of fun. It tastes great. It's really, it's a lot of mouth pleasure. 
But we can't confuse that with food because it's not food. It's fun. And if you break things into categories of food and fun, all you have to do, and put it this way, it's okay to have fun once in a while. Okay, don't beat yourself up for having a little bit of fun. It's okay. But when fun replaces food for you, you start to run into problems. And so knowing when you're having fun and when you're consuming food are important distinctions to make. And I think that life eats life and trying to figure out how far removed is what I'm eating from true life is a really powerful way to help to make that distinction. What are the, yeah, how many steps are it away from that? Yeah. Like how many machines has it gone through and and all of that? Um, And the other, I think I heard this from, uh, I think it came from Quest Nutrition, but they came out with the saying cheat clean. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like that too because it's like you can go to a a burger joint and eat eat there and, and get like a, a large fry and a coke and all that. It's like or you can go to the store and buy some buy some meat, make your own burger with whatever you want in it. Um, you know, buy some uh, buy a bun. You know, make some make a salad with it. You can have something that tastes amazing and you can feast on it. And you could consider it like a quote-unquote cheat meal but you're still cheating much cleaner than going to mcdonald's and stuffing your face with like two big macs and a, and a large coke mm-hmm. so i think even the word cheat bring like brings up a good point so mike Palm talks about this thing called basically a condition called orthorexia which is basically defined as an obsessive behavior in the pursuit of a healthy diet and it's one of these things where even the word cheat means is a really good reflection of our obsession with always eating healthy and what he says is it's very ironic because the people that are most obsessed with eating with healthy eating are actually the people who suffer with the most diet related health problems right people in north america are the most obsessed with the health of their food they are hands down yeah go to france people don't really care about how healthy their food is they just they just eat food they savor it they actually get pleasure from eating food they look at food in a totally different context and you know something's definitely wrong here because we're not cluing into the fact that the people that obsess most with the health of their food are the people that have the worst relationship with food and are most unhealthy because of their food. So what's going on? And I think it brings us to the the next point, which is this ideology around food that Paul calls nutritionism, right? Which is not to be confused with nutrition because the ism designates that it's an ideology. And it's basically this set of beliefs or, or these unspoken assumptions that organize our experience. So we don't, most people don't even realize that they've adopted the ideology of nutritionism, but, but we have, and let's, let's break down a couple of the points. And, you know, these are points that basically people just assume mm-hmm. to be true, but I think deserve to be contested because they're not accurate and they haven't been around for that long. But if you accept these tenets of this ideology, then you automatically are going down the wrong path with food. So <clears throat> the first one is the first tenet of idea of the nutritionism ideology is that the most important thing about any food are the nutrients that it contains. So food is basically brought down to simply of nutrient delivery vehicle that we eat in order to give nutrients to our body with no other purpose. Have you ever seen a nutrient before? That's the thing. I've never seen a nutrient. Why? Because they're invisible. Yeah. And so if only scientists can see nutrients and that's all of what you're basing your food choices on, then you automatically have forfeited your ability to decide what to eat to having to talk to an expert that knows what these nutrient things are and what nutrients you should be eating. Yeah. That's a big problem. And that's, yeah, you have to go back up a notch and say, like we broccoli, for example, like it contains a lot of good stuff, but you don't need to know what exact nutrients it contains. You don't need to know, like it just... Exactly. You just eat it and it and then you're you're tired of it so you stop eating it. Like yeah. that's that's what you need to know about it. And then the other piece of that like he was bringing up the example of like when when somebody when they were creating baby formula and they just took like a piece by piece like a piecemeal approach to it. We're like, okay, we should put some fat in it, we should put some this and that. Yeah. And they and they forgot to identify like the actual uh vitamins, so then they added that in, but it was just like what outcome beats that? It's like, well, like breast milk competes all of that. <laughs> and it's way better than anything they've ever come up with in yeah. the history of science. So that's a good example of, you know, the problem with nutrients is that people stop eating food and they start eating nutrients. They look past the food because here's the thing. If you engineer some weird substance, let's take margarine, for example, because that is the that is the most crazy, I think, food-like product because it can change its identity every six months based on the new nutrient fat. If all you're doing is focusing on nutrients, well, all of a sudden processed foods can be more quote unquote healthy than natural foods because you can put whatever nutrient of the of the month 
is trending or has been proven to be have some sort of benefit into that food and say, well, this weird food that we engineered, this goop that is really just vegetable oil with a bunch of weird shit that we think is good for you added in is actually better for you than broccoli because it has these nutrients. But that's just yeah. broccoli. Broccoli doesn't have a team of people lobbying for the fact that it's good. And guess what? It has beta carotene in it. It has all these different nutrients, but it has a lot of stuff we don't even know it has. And that stuff might be the most important stuff. Like And the mix of stuff. It's like the, Science has a bad track record when it comes to this. They it's suck. like the sunlight example we were talking about yesterday. It's like, it's is it better to take vitamin D pills or go out into the sun for 20 minutes? And exactly. you're going to get much more benefit from going out. And why? It's like, well, we've tried to break down, is it vitamin D? And it's like, yeah, that is a component of it. But when we eat a pill, what's happening? Uh, there, there's... There's kind of indirect, like we've been living, again, first principles, we've been living off the energy of the sun for, like life has been living off it for billions of years. So it's, that's going to be, it, it's just formed to, we, we've just evolved that way. So it's going to be much better than trying to break down, what is the sun giving us? Okay, let's try to create a pill for that and try to mimic that. Yeah, so, FYI, the sun doesn't just give you vitamin D. Yeah. So if you simplify it to that level, you don't understand what the sun actually does. I don't understand it, but I know it's not just vitamin D. Yeah. Right. Why do people get depressed when they don't get the sun? I don't think it's just because of lack of vitamin D. No. Right. Like it's so we, we simplify things so much. And, and this whole simplification down to just nutrients instead of food is this base premise where if you agree with that, you all of a sudden agree with a lot of other bad stuff that takes power away from you to make good food decisions. But it, by simplifying it down to the nutrients, it also complexifies it because then you hear people talking about like, how many I use should you be taking a day of this? Yeah. How many I use? And it's like, well, no, this study said that the complete opposite of that study. So there's so much confusion and it almost is getting more and more complex in the in the world of science, uh, the food science, that it's actually a nutrition science, that it's, I think the people are listening and the people are getting more confused too. Yeah. Um, whereas the people shouldn't be, like, it's okay for this, the scientific realm to be investigating what's going on behind the scenes in, yeah. in terms of food, but it shouldn't be carried over to the lay people and then confusing them and, exactly. and causing causing corporations to build things that like, it's just those two sh you know, entities should be separate. And uh, to exercise, you don't need to know the mechanism of how your mitochondria yeah. generate ATP. Like you just don't need to know that you can yeah. just exercise. You don't need to know every single nutrient, what's good or bad for you when it comes to eating food. In fact, knowing that, based on orthorexia actually breeds a lot of problems because you're you instantly instead of looking at broccoli as something to consume you're like oh i wonder if it has this nutrient i wonder if it has too much of this it's like well no it's it's life you're designed to eat life there might be certain foods that you don't agree with that your body doesn't agree with and part of that is just taking ownership for feeling how different foods make you feel right we've gotten disconnected every time a problem happens we think our doctor has to tell us what the problem is it's like well just mm -hmm. Get back in touch with your body. If you eat something and you feel like crap and you poo terribly, well, guess what? Your body probably doesn't agree with that. Let's yeah. move on to another, a different food source. If it's highly processed food, well, guess what? Most people's bodies don't agree with things that were made in a factory, but we do agree with things that were life at some point. I think a lot of people are just, their baseline feels just not that good. So it's hard to distinguish. They mm -hmm. almost need to strip it down and, and figure that out. I think from that was for me, I was just... I realized I wasn't feeling good. You only realize that once you start feeling better. Yeah. It's hard. And it's multifactorial. It's like, well, if you sleep like crap, that's another factor. Yeah. So it's hard to isolate variables. And I feel for food scientists, right? Like they're, I said they have a terrible track record. They do. You know, they, th they say, <clears throat> you know, the phase that they went through where like fats are bad. Well, guess what? We all got really fat when we stopped eating fat because it got replaced with sugar and that made us really fat. So people still it's believe in that as as we've talked about people still choose the low fat because it's so subconscious and it's like my mom will still do that I'll see like the low fat like whatever uh sour cream or something it's like yeah. why did you choose that one oh I, like sometimes it's like I don't know like it, and it's like was it because of the low fat like this tastes disgusting and yeah. it's the just, myth of eating fat ma makes you fat is so crazy like at the start of that pollen talk that youtube video that i mentioned at the start he has yogurts and he talks about how the one that's low fat unit for unit has double the amount of sugar than coke than coca-cola does <laughs> because when you take the fat out you have to put something in there to make it taste good because taking out yeah. the fat makes it taste like shit and you just load it with sugar so the whole low fat trend was essentially the sugar blast trend um and it's, you know, part of it is these, these entities, these lobbying entities around sugar, like sugar has a bunch of people that go to government and lobby for certain 
things to be able to be approved or not to be disapproved, right? When we realize sugar is dangerous, if you say that, well, guess what? You're not the person talking to the person making the rules, but these people that get paid by the sugar companies, they can, they have a lot of influence and this mm -hmm. is part of the problem. And so, you know, I think just educating the public is the solution to this problem because it doesn't matter how tricky, how much they try and trick you into eating sugar, because sugar's in everything now. Um, if the public is well-informed and understands how to distinguish between food and food-like products, you know, the sugar lobby cannot put sugar in broccoli. They cannot put sugar in meat, right? And so if you know how to identify food... And they can't food, brand it as such. They can't say low-fat broccoli. They can't say exactly. this contains... Um, you know, vitamin so-and-so in high amounts or omega threes, but, uh, yeah, so it's just, but, and people need to vote with their dollar, like we said exactly. before. And if, if enough people start voting with their dollar, that that's what will dictate what will things. Happen. Another problem that develops because of this ideology is that it essentially, when you make it all about the nutrients and you start to play favorites with good nutrients and bad nutrients, you create this duality of good and evil, right? Humans love this. We we're very tribal. So when you demonize a certain nutrient, there's almost always a nutrient on the flip side that's like the savior, right? And when you see, here's a big red flag for me when it comes to food. When you see two extremely smart people in the world of food, scientists or really well-spoken good thinkers, go onto a podcast and argue about what's a better way to eat food. Like, that's a problem. Like, they're focusing on the wrong stuff. If two really smart people are arguing and they're not even focused on finding points of agreement, you can tell that they have some sort of personal connection with the way they think about food which turns into an ideology right or they're using their the science that they have stumbled upon and gone into to to formulate their their opinions on that too because there's so much science on it yeah that you can say okay well these i've analyzed these 100 studies and they've pointed to the fact that i've, I've made the conclusions based on these that this is the way we should be eating because, you know, it all says that. And then the other person's like, well, no, I also have all these scientific studies that actually <laughs> say this. So then those those clash. And it's like, okay, you both have a lot of studies that say certain things. And you've both formulated opinions based yeah. on those studies. You know what that says? But, Science doesn't understand nutrition. They don't because it's so friggin' complex. Well, they un understand... Uh, again, isolated bits of it. But they don't yeah. understand... But it, science is just... Again, like we've... Like we pointed to in that previous podcast, it's just little little things that can they can tell us it doesn't tell us the whole story behind it all uh and it's up to people to to figure out their own story behind it all and i think that's what these people are trying to do they're trying to use the science to formulate the story which is good but i think the the simpler story is what we're going for here yeah. the simpler story of of what did we eat for like what got us here like what it yeah and, and where uh, did what you're putting in your mouth come from do yeah. you know where it came from how many steps it took to get there because the more steps it takes to get to the point where it goes in your mouth the least the least likely it resembles actual food. Because guess what? The more That's science that comes out to, the more confusing it's going to get. Exactly. It's not going to get simpler. We want to simplify things. Mm -hmm. because, And, and we're going to finish off um, with talking about just like simple tips for identifying real food. So we'll talk about that at the end. And one of those things, one of those tips actually happens to be don't eat any foods that are making health claims. Because guess what? Broccoli can't make health claims. Mm -hmm. And if it makes health claims, it's probably got a package. If it's got a package, there's a higher likelihood that it's been processed. And it's further away from being real food. So it's just like really simple. Like to say eat food seems almost silly. It's like, well, duh, obviously eat food. What else is there to eat? Well, guess what? The majority of what you find in your supermarket is not actually real food. When you look at the definition a bit more deeply and say like food is is life. Yeah. And at first... First order life. Yeah. Not life that's been broken down in five stages over time. <laughs> exactly. Because technically all everything is life, right? Everything is nutrients. And we talked about, you know, plants take nutrients from the soil. They take energy from the sun. They are almost creating the first order of true life. And then animals will consume those plants. They'll absorb the nutrients. So it's all like kind of bioaccumulates. And I think another danger with eating meat, like especially fit, you hear about eating fish at the top of the food chain, like marlin and stuff like that. It also bioaccumulates stuff that we put in the water, that we put in the food chain, things like mercury, all that kind of stuff. I think that's a bit, that is kind of a source of confusion too. So it's, you know, our, the journey into food is going to require much more research to find out like what of these things are valid in terms of things that the public needs to know and what things are just misplaced precision, like the bulk of nutrition science, right? Um, and I think that the whole take home underneath this whole, our whole journey into food and this, even this whole episode is. As a human being, you have the power to make good choices about the food that you consume, 
But today's day and age is a much more complex scene. Like back in the day, you hunted, you gathered, you prepared, you ate. It was very simple. There was really no options to eat things that were not food. But now there is. And you ate, and you ate according to your locale, like yeah. where where you were, what was ready at the time, what was in the season. Exactly. That's what you ate. You probably would store stuff, but if you lived in a cooler climate. But again, and if you processed it, there was really very few ways to process it. You either salted it to preserve it, or you fermented it. And those are both like maybe those are second order life, but you know things that we're finding in supermarkets are like tenth order life, or even like indistinguishable, like gogurt. Yogurt that comes in a tube that has 65 ingredients, most of which you can't pronounce. Like, I don't know what order that is, but that's not food anymore. No. That's a food-like product that we've engineered to basically cater to our taste buds and our affinity for sweetness, fat, and salt. We've engineered, companies have engineered those. And the problem is, is that, you know, there used to be laws saying that if you made food that wasn't real or that was imitating something, you had to color it differently or you had to call it imitation. And this happened several times and both times they got squashed by the food industry because guess what? If you make something that's not actual butter, but you're trying to compete with it and you have to color it pink, that's a really, that's a really hard obstacle to go over. And that used to be a law. Um, You know, if, if it, if it imitated something in any way, right? Like bread, there's four ingredients in it takes to make bread. The average, you know, Sarah Lee's wonder bread has like 35 ingredients. If you have to call that imitation bread, that's a really big red flag. And guess what? Not a lot of people are going to buy it, which is no. a good thing because people actually are informed and, and it's obvious what's food and what's not food. But food just has food manufacturers just have too much power. So those yeah. things are out the window and now it makes for a complex scene. So um, anyway, the the last one, I think the last thing that nutritionism does, the last tenant, the last negative that it kind of carries is that when food is only about nutrients, then consuming food becomes only about health. And, you know, I just got back from some time in Greece and you see a different food culture there where people don't eat just for the sake of consuming nutrients. The time that they spend eating with each other is more about community and more about pleasure. Like the people we're supposed to pleasure is this realm of food that I think we've lost touch with when it's only about nutrients. We don't think about the pleasure. But if and you were even talking about before, if you really choose it to be so you can make eating food like almost a meditative process where every single bite is you're thinking about where did this come from? Um, you know, all the good tastes that you're getting in your mouth, all that kind of stuff. We've ruined pleasure and we've ruined a sense of community of breaking bread together and taking time to eat, like taking two hours to like have conversations and and go way beyond just the food you're eating. Food is just the medium you're using to layer on this element of community and, and relationships. And, and it's kind of nutritionism wrecked that. Exactly. And uh, you can see it in yourself too. I... On Monday, I was out of. It's funny. I was out of coffee, so my goal oh, no. was to <laughs> my goal was to wake up uh, a bit early and uh, and drive to the the coffee shop, get a coffee, and then drive into work. Um, I was running behind a little bit, so I made this. I made some eggs, some avocados, and all of that, and uh, and I was eating it. I was like, okay, I gotta get out. I put it in my time that I needed to be done my my eggs. Uh, to the minute, I was like, by 6.55, I have to be done this so I can go up and shower so I can leave by like 7.05. Yeah. But then I was like, what am I doing? Like there's, like I, and I was just, I was like, shit, I'm not going to finish by 6.55. So, but then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give myself 10 more minutes. I'm not going to go to the coffee shop and there's coffee at the office. And I was like, okay, I took a breath and I was like, okay, it's nice to just be able to spend 10 more minutes eating this meal in the morning. And it was like, holy shit, what was I doing? I thought that was normal behavior, but it was so (laughs) abnormal. I was going to rush my meal so I could rush to the coffee shop so I could get some, some fuel to ramp my system modern life. So, so I could go in and, and get my coffee. So it's like, holy crap. Um, and again, I probably could have planned that better, but it was ridiculous. Yeah, and I, I enjoyed my meal that. so much more. I was we like, yes, ten minutes to enjoy my meal. And that, that's you good. Know, even another point is not just what you eat, and that this brings it up. It's how you eat it, right? Like digesting food is a parasympathetic function, so it's like rest and digest. I think a lot of people have heard that versus like fight or flight. Your body is supposed to be relaxed in a calm state, not really doing much else in order to optimally digest food, which is breaking it down into its individual nutrients and absorbing them and using them for energy or for repair. If you're cramming something down your gullet in your car when you're already when you're driving, you're stressed as shit because it's a high stress situation and you're late for a meeting and you're eating something on the way. Well, guess what? Getting indigestion doesn't mean you're sick. It means you're normal. 
It's what should happen because your yeah. body's not thinking about digesting food. It's thinking of fending off the lion it thinks you're running from, which has been triggered by the stress response of driving a car and being late to a meeting. So it's not just what you eat. It's how you eat it. Like, are you actually chewing your food or is it going down your throat basically fully formed without even being broken down mechanically by your jaw? Is your body in a state where it's ready to absorb nutrients and, and in this kind of like relaxed state? I think it's something we lose too. We just it's always like, are in a rush. Exactly. You could almost say like people are like, oh, I don't have time to meditate. Well, turn eating into meditation for yeah. a little while. Spend a little longer, devote a little more time to it and then just be aware of what you're doing and how how fast you're consuming it and give yourself a chance. I think just giving yourself the time. I almost feel like a lot of people myself included think that like eating we're so crazy in, in that like eating is time spent not doing other productive stuff so it's like yeah. i gotta eat quick yeah it's so crazy um and you appreciate when you go out for a meal with friends and you're like but maybe it should be like that more often we're not saying take two hour meals at every single meal but there's a component of that it's nice to relax a little bit for sure it's gonna be and better for your health you got to set the stage for your body to be able to efficiently use that food and i think also another thing whenever someone says i don't have time Really what that, you know, that those are the words they speak. When it goes into my ear, I really hear I'm not prioritizing that. Yeah, because that's what it is. When someone says I don't have time to do 10 minutes of movement every day, that really says I don't prioritize movement. That's really what it Your is. current because situation it, doesn't allow, the way you've set things up doesn't allow for it. So it just yeah, means and, you need to and go like, in Take there a journal of what it. you spend your time on. I guarantee you're spending way more than 10 minutes browsing Instagram a day or Facebook or whatever, watching yeah. Netflix. Like, don't tell me that. That's not that's not a fair thing to say, that you don't have 10 minutes to spare during the day to sit down and be with your own thoughts because you do. Wake up 10 minutes earlier. Go to bed yeah. 10 minutes earlier. This is, this, it, that's bullshit. It's a cop-out and it's not, like people just have to, you know, I'm trying to learn how to bring that up to people in a way that doesn't put up barriers. Because if you like call them on something then they automatically have a fear response they put up walls they don't it takes away trust but really people have to understand that when you say i don't have time for this it really means you're not prioritizing it and so what are you prioritizing mm -hmm. right and when it comes to priorities we talked about this before how much money people spend on food yeah right i don't think you have the numbers with i think you, but uh well for the average american will spend about 9.5 percent of their income on food in the u.s and the numbers on the other countries that's the only stat i have but other countries tended to be France was in like higher. the high teens, right? Yeah, so they were. So it, it was. Almost, I think it was America was the the uh, lowest on hmm. on food. So that brings up the question: How much do you know? Do you know how much you spend on food, or how much are you willing to spend on food yeah. versus other things? Uh, would you rather feel better, eat better, and all of that, or would you rather have more stuff? Yeah. Um, and I think there's this people spend more on their iPhone than they do on what literally sustains life yeah. in their body. <laughs> and it's hard to get over that hump because you go to the grocery store, you're trying to search for the biggest deals you're trying to and all of that. But I think just giving yourself the the OK, the go ahead to spend a bit more on food yeah. that that you will thoroughly enjoy, that you appreciate and that will actually serve you more by being healthier for you will go a long way and i'm trying i'm in that transition right now trying yeah. to do that and it's tough because whenever money is involved you're like we've been just trained to think about money and in, in terms of but it's like when it gets in the way of health it's it's tough and everybody will will bring that up the the money thing well it's easier to eat cheap like cheap food and yes it is um but you can get you can devote a little bit more money to it or you can and you can also figure out ways that that both can meet in the middle like the bead example like i talked about yeah, and like I, I think I spend more money per unit of food now, but I eat less food in general. And that's just my, what works for me. Like I really don't eat during the day. I eat, uh, I have coffee in the morning. I might have a couple nuts for snacks. Some days I'll eat if I'm really hungry, if I am do like a, an intense uh, bout of training or if I'm doing something that burns a lot of calories. But in the evening I eat and I spend, you know, because I'm eating less meals during the day, um, I just spend more on that meal. And it's not for more food. It's usually for better quality food. And I think, you know, you talk about how Americans spend 9% of their income and people like in France, for example, might spend 15, 16% of their income on food. The interesting thing is that the Americans are actually eating a lot more quantity and density of calories. So if you actually calculate how many calories they're eating, I guarantee Americans are eating much more calories despite yeah. spending much less money, which all it means is that you're eating way cheaper food. Yeah. Right. And cheaper is not better. People, you're right. People were so 
zoned in to trying to, you know, I want to find the gas station that is two cents less per liter. Yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't work with food because there's no floor on how cheap you can eat. The problem is you don't immediately see the consequences of eating that cheap food. Like if all you ate was crackers all day, you'd probably spend very little on food. You'd probably live. You would live. You'd probably be super nutrient deficient, have a bunch of problems, but you would live. And the problem is that the negatives that you feel from that don't immediately ring into your head as it's because of the food you're eating. You know, it's and you can live and you can actually be full. You can yeah. eat pasta and, and crackers. You eat a lot of them. But yeah, I mean, it's just we need to spend we need to care more about the quality of the food we eat. And I think, you know, let's get into to kind of wrap it up. Let's go into tips for identifying food. And this comes from Poland's book in defense of food. And I think they're really good. They're the rules of thumb. They're not these things do not tell you what to eat and what not to eat. Well, actually, they do kind of tell you what not to eat. They tell you the things to avoid based on these kind of red flags. So I think, you know, we always want to try and finish this podcast with helpful tips that you can apply right away um, and and that can be actionable. So and we can I'll list each one and we'll kind of riff on it real quick. Um, first one is don't eat anything your great grandmother wouldn't recognize as food or another way of putting it. If you want to be extra safe, don't eat anything our ancestors from a thousand years ago wouldn't have eaten. That's an interesting one. I mean, that, that takes Gogurt and Egos and Egos and Lucky Charms out of the equation. But I think if you think of it in that way, and why great-grandmother? Well, probably your grandmother was probably part of the phase of confusion as well. So it's better to go back more generations. But that essentially helps you, you know, it's just a quick mental cue of, would people a thousand years ago have eaten this? Well, if you're buying a steak, yeah, they probably would have. If you're buying uh, kale or you're buying spinach, yeah, that was around, you know. Yeah. But, you know, Rice Krispies, well, those probably weren't around. No. You know what I mean? So it's an easy, quick reminder to basically, because all these things are, are really, all these tips are there to help you identify real food from food-like products, which are very different. Second one, don't eat anything incapable of rotting. <laughs> this is a big red flag because a lot of, you know, if, if something never rot, if you've had something for a year and it's not showing any signs of mold or anything, not even bacteria can eat that thing. So it's probably just a pile of chemicals that were designed to last perpetually so they can be on shelves forever and never go bad. And it's probably not real food. Back to the life thing. Life, life will... Decomposes. Yes. If it doesn't decompose, it's probably not life or it's really far from the life it originally started as. Third one, avoid food products containing ingredients that are A, unfamiliar, B, unpronounceable, C, more than five in number, or D, include high fructose corn syrup. So avoid foods with ingredients that can that are unfamiliar unpronounceable more than five in number or have high fructose corn syrup which that last one is going to bring up the red flag for a, a lot of things when you mm -hmm. read the back um four avoid food products that make health claims we talked about this before if it makes health claims it's probably got a package it's probably got a company behind it and and like in his book it's so crazy how loosey-goosey it is to make a health claim on something the fda really doesn't like they're not doing due diligence you can no. say, oh, this is good for your heart. Like when Doritos are able to make health claims on chips, something happened that isn't good. And this is like literally happening. <laughs> it's like, it's so crazy. Um, and then two tips at the end, uh, shop at the peripheries of the supermarket because a lot of grocery stores or supermarkets are kind of conventionally laid out in the same way where the middle aisles contain a lot of the processed foods and then um, the perimeter, like the walls, you have uh, fresh food, like dairy, produce, meat, fish. And I think that's literally just for the economics of being able to unload things quickly that are quickly going in there. Yeah. So shop at the periphery instead of the center. And the last one is whenever possible, get out of the supermarket. So that can mean find and, and, and go to a local uh, farmer's market, right? You're not going to find high fructose corn syrup or packaged foods there. You're literally, you're probably going to speak to the farmer that grew that food. It's real life. It was probably picked very, you know, the, the sooner you get fruits and vegetables or meat after it's been harvested, the, the, the better nutrient density it has and the better flavor it has too. People mm -hmm. don't realize that if you pick a tomato and eat it, it literally tastes extremely different than the tomato that was harvested a week ago from Mexico that was shipped here. Like it makes a difference. If you oh, want to, yeah. you know, like fresh strawberries or me and Liv were eating fresh peaches the other day. The peaches are good right oh, now. Oh my yeah. good gracious. Though it, It's better than any peaches. candy that you can have. That's what I realized it's on the crazy. weekend. It's crazy. I was actually going to go to to Monsians to pick up these like 
Dilly bars. <laughs> Monsieur's is a grocery <laughs> store here. <laughs> and I was going to pick up these like ice cream bar things that are amazing too. But then <laughs> I realized that I had the peaches from that I had bought earlier in the week. Yeah. And I told my brother, I was like, dude, those peaches are sick. Like, do you, don't you think that the peach would be like better than that right now? He's like, oh, fuck that. Sorry. That would be, <laughs> that actually would be more appetizing right now than than one of those bars we didn't actually go to the store and the peach the peach was actually more appetizing as soon as we thought about it we're like wait the peach is the dessert okay cool and then we changed our plans but it it was those are amazing they're like those fresh man in and in greece fresh produce comes every day gets delivered every day and when you go there it's like 20 cents 20 euro cents for a peach and it's literally one of the it was the thing that i looked forward to eating every day and Mm -hmm. they were so delicious and and when you look at a peach it's so crazy that nature makes that yeah like we won't get too deep into that but basically that isn't a fruit a way for a plant to trick an animal into eating it and spreading it yeah is that what it's for yeah what the hell is designed to eat a peach like what animals is that catering to because the pit in that thing is massive do they just eat the whole pit and like shit it out i think so or do they purpose or if you like theoretically, if you picked a peach yeah. and then like walked away and ate it and then like through the pit, True. The, that could grow in another area. But is it adapted to target humans? That's what I'm asking. I Probably. try to think of like what animal is this? Probably thing humans, because you could huh. you could take it where or and other animals probably. Yeah. But if you just, I don't think you just need to eat the pit. Yeah. I think you could just throw it away. Because I was eating a fig and it has these tiny little things in it. I'm like, okay, if a bird ate that, it would crap it out and plant might grow there. But anyway, and then, yeah, so those are the six tips in terms of identifying real food. And that's really the whole premise of this whole podcast is food is life. Life eats life. The further removed what you're eating is from when it was life, the more processed it is and the less likely it is to be actual food. And if people are able to understand how to identify food and how to contrast that with identifying food-like products, which are not food, do not confuse them with food, although the food industry does a really good job at trying to make them um, not only get confused with real food, but actually it does a really good job at making it seem like they're superior to real food because they have all these nutrients that we're supposed to have. So we need to get back to eating food instead of eating nutrients. We need to bump ourselves out of this nutritionism mindset where it's all about the nutrients because it's not. It's about eating healthful food. It's about enjoying the food you're eating. It's about um, having a sense of community with people that you're eating food with, not rushing when you're Mm -hmm. eating, right? Actually like giving your body a chance to get into the mode of properly digesting that food. And food is something we're continuing to learn about. Like we don't know very much about food. And I think coming at this from a non-nutrition specialist um, perspective is actually very powerful because it allows you to really filter through the crap that's been layered on to this very complex world that in in reality is really simple. Like we're the first generations, first first like group of humans on planet earth that have ever not known what to eat. It's like the most fundamental basic thing. And yet we're confused about it. So we're going to do more episodes on food in future because it definitely is something, I mean, it applies to us personally, right? If you take, if you have no knowledge about nutrition, but you're a human and you have a scientific mindset of, of figuring things out, right? Trying to search for the truth. Guess what? You can do a really good job at understanding food. If you take yeah. a mindset of when I eat this, I don't feel very good. This is not food. It's actually just a food product. Like you have, you can, you can take back a lot of power and control over making good food choices by just being better informed. And that's our goal with uh, going into food is make it simple for people and um, be the people that investigate and ask the questions to try and find out the truth and get rid of all the crap that's been layered on. So anyway, we hope you enjoy that episode and we'll catch you next week.